welcome after all the laughter to um, passing the baton and it is number 14 and it's about spiritual warfare. Um, I'm going to read a prayer that I... I um, some of you might want to pray this but I offer it very tentatively because if you do you mean in business. So you can come and help yourself to this. I'm not going to ask you to pray it today unless you want to. Um, you know that I go in for crafted prayers. So first of all, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to do what he wants to do here. And then I'll read this prayer and you just see how it hits you. If it smacks you in the spirit and God's saying you need a copy of that, then you can come and get it. So let's just pray for a moment. Father, we are desperate to live in the place that Jesus won for us on the cross. Lord, we want him to see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. So, Father, I pray that there will not be just words going forth today with no power behind them, but they will be life-changing, that we will see that unless we actually put these things into practice, nothing is going to change for us. And we need to start girding ourselves up for the fight and enjoying it, the fight that is coming. So I ask you, Father, to enable us to rise up and take this ground and live in this place. And Father, that today we will surrender to you all that needs to be surrendered to you. Father, give us a vision of your awesome majesty and raise us up to fight with a grin. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, this is the prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to learn more about your goodness and greatness. We thank you and bless you because you are the mighty warrior. You are our true model for what a warrior looks like. So, Father, on a personal level, I ask for a spirit of revelation to speak to me and to prepare me now for what you want to show and teach me. Holy Spirit, I, and then you place your name in it, ask that you would go before me now and make a way for my heart to be ready and prepared. Show me the things I will need to let go of so I can take hold and step into the new position you have for me. Father, I thank you ahead of time that this year will bring forth a clearer picture of my identity in you, that I will walk forward into a new love relationship with you, that you will stir my heart with such love, compassion and tenderness that it will burn and bring forth a new desire within me that cannot be contained. A desire to fight a warrior's fight in a new way for this new season of life that stands before me. Father, as a company, we declare that this is our honour, our privilege and our right as sons of the living God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we say yes and amen to the way of the warrior and what you have for us. We choose to be trained as warriors and take back what is our inheritance given by our Heavenly Father and bought through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our families, our children, our land and our nation are all a part of his inheritance. Therefore we proclaim to the enemy that no weapon fashioned against us can prosper. I proclaim that we will rise up and become warriors. I proclaim that we will take territory in the spirit. We will become strong and serve the Lord with power. Father, we ask you to release a spirit of breakthrough over us so that your warriors and champions will arise, come forth and be fully empowered in Jesus' name. Now, if any of you feel you want to take that, you can just come up and take it. That, uh, Joyce and I prayed about it last night and we, we really felt it was not something that we wanted you guys to do in a moment of uh, enthusiasm. Of course, I said to the Lord, it'll all start falling in if they start praying this just because it's there to be prayed. So what we're actually looking at is what it really means to start training and being warriors 
not maybe what we've been taught it means, but what it really actually means at ground level. Um, so this is going to be a, um, a foundation course, if you like. I think one that I know there are going to be two more. Um, I think I possibly have put the dates on the, on the piece of paper that I gave you. Um, that was typed up this morning, and I've forgotten already what the dates were, what it was all about. Uh, <clears throat> but Gina um, read this to me the other day, and I said, I think um, it's maybe what I need to share with you here. Warriors, it's called. The call is out. I've got to stand up and do this. Can't sit down and be a warrior, can you? It's time to arise. Our commander, our captain has said, arise and shine for your light has come. He sits on his white horse waiting, waiting for his army to come, come into their ranks, ready for the battle. His angels are waiting in great expectation, waiting to see what his warriors will do. Do they understand the time is now? Do they hear the call? Listen, listen. He is releasing his fire. He's holding forth his sword. He's been refining them like silver. He's been refining them like gold. Now is the time to believe it's done. He's put the fire in their eyes. He's put the fire in their bellies. He's given them all they need. Will his warriors arise? The very earth waits with bated breath for his warriors to realise who they are. The Lord of hosts waits. His eyes are looking into the eyes, the eyes of his warriors. Will they see? So you can see that we're not exactly playing about. And this might look very childish and silly. But the other one got broken. <laughs> Someone went for it a bit hard and snapped the thing in half, which was jolly good, because she was going for something that was happening. And she brought me this as a replacement. But this is not a joke. This is symbolic of a weapon of warfare. And it's time for us to understand the fight that we're in. Because the enemy's had us asleep, you know. I think that the whole thing of the Florida outpouring, what we're hearing about now, um, which is absolutely brilliant, is bringing the church back to the place where she should have been. Because as I observe it, there's a lot of repentance going on, there's a lot of forgiveness going on, there's a lot of bringing people into alignment with the purposes of God. And it's absolutely brilliant. Totally different from the Toronto outpouring. Different purpose. And so he's going to start now training his troops up. Because, as I realised the other day, he never sends you into battle without the weapons. So he gives Moses a stick. How would you like to have just a stick to be sent into battle with? Because that was what Moses got, didn't he? Just as an old man, as Graham Cook says, with a stick and a stutter. But with that stick, held in the way that God told him to hold it, uh, it did the trick. It parted the Red Sea. It did everything. He threw it down and it became a snake. When I first came into the healing ministry and, and was really starting to go, I was very worried about how to pray for people if I didn't get the prayer quite right. And the Lord said to me, do you think Moses stood there trying to get the angle of the stick right before he struck the water? He said, just pray and I'll do it. Oh. So you're looking at someone who's gone from a wimp to a warrior, so be encouraged. It takes a bit of time and a little discipline. <laughs> but you can go from a wimp to a warrior. So this is probably... Um, the first of at least three teachings on this subject and you could call this one foundational the things that absolutely have to be in place in our lives before we can engage in real battle it's kindergarten stuff but we're all in this together so don't be dismayed and you cannot miss this step out and we've actually been building on this from the beginning of the year those of you who have been here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
A structure has been built on which this teaching can actually be placed. We've studied the role of women and their place in society and the home and the church. We've looked at the true um, definition of biblical submission. Very, very important. Our submission is always to him first. And that is a foundation stone. Get your submission to God in place. Nothing else will work. Submit to God, then you resist the devil and he will flee. So we've been building on this. We looked at living on the other side of the cross. And if the Lord will, we will build systematically on all this in the coming months and maybe even years. And the teachings which went before will make sense of what you're about to learn today. To some of you it will be familiar, so if it is, please forgive me. If it isn't, please open your heart to see the battle that rages for your life and the lives of your loved ones in the unseen realm. And ask the Lord to open your spiritual eyes so that you may see and cooperate fully with all he wants to do in this hour. So be blessed. I'm going to get you working again this morning, so I hope you've got pencils and paper. If you haven't, I think there's a couple on the shelf here. So if you haven't come prepared, there's a bit there. Because this is all about you getting activated, not about me doing something. I'm going to be asking you questions, and you'll need to write down your answers and go back to God with them later on. So there are four reasons. I actually found another one last night when I was reading this through as far as I can see, that you could be oppressed by the kingdom of darkness rather than living in the kingdom of light. The first one is disobedience or delayed obedience. Don't wait ten years before you do what you ask you. The second one's ever so obvious, previous involvement with the occult that is still not repented of and cleared out of the way. And the third one, which is mostly the one that gives the open place, is sinful attitudes. Offences, unforgiveness, it's a big one. And this seems to me to be largely what God is dealing with uh, in the body of Christ at the moment. And he's doing it. It's wonderful. Puts people like me out of a job and I'm thrilled. And the fourth one is living in the flesh, not in the spirit. The fifth one is that you're living sanctified and holy enough to actually be a target. You've got to be good enough for the enemy to actually take you on. Being good enough, yeah. Being living clean enough, shining enough. You're not going to bother if you're living in your carnality. You're doing it yourself. He doesn't need it. So, as I say, I found that one last night when I read these through. Next week I might have added to it. Seriously though, wrong attitudes, if undealt with, can open you up to quite severe oppression and affliction by the enemy, physically, emotionally and mentally. Don't think he can't afflict you physically through an open door in your life, because he can. You may think you are perfectly justified in thinking and feeling as you do, because after all, what they did to you. But in actual fact, every time you have a bad attitude or a bad thought life, it's an opportunity for an invasion of the enemy into your space. You know what Jesus says. Don't ask me, you didn't ask me into your head when you got saved because I don't like what goes on in there. You asked me into your heart. We're always in alignment with something, either God or the enemy. There is no in-between. And the Bible speaks a lot about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So what we're welcoming into our lives is really important in terms of maintaining the spiritual integrity that enables us to go up against the enemy when we need to. The last however many years of crossless Christianity have brought us to the place where we are self-absorbed, always seeking what's best for us because we are at the centre. Largely we've bought into a man-centred Christianity and we rarely actually put into practice what the Word of God says. Beloved, we are living in the wrong place. We are living in the first heaven. When God wants us to be having a third heaven experience, we're living in the flesh when he wants us to be living in the spirit. And this has made us largely unprepared 
for the battle that lies ahead, and it is a satanically inspired strategy. If Satan can keep us in a baby state, fighting each other, falling in and out of relationship with one another, we will never pose a threat to him. In these days, this is being put right by God. He's bringing us up to his standard because he wants us ready and up for the fight, having a third heaven experience and living from there. When I talk about the three heavens, I mean the first heaven is what you're picking up in your head and your ears. In other words, your thought life. That is where most of the warfare is, between your ears. Basic stuff. This is where he infiltrates and subverts or sabotages God's purposes for your life. He gets you in your thinking. Because out of what you think is the belief system and out of what you believe is your behaviour. So it's no good doing behaviour modification. We've got to get in and change the way you think. So the second heaven is the atmosphere, the stars that we can see, and that is where the principalities and powers operate. And then there is the third heaven, which is God's throne room, outside of the universe. And Isaiah 40, 22 tells us that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And that is where we're meant to be living. And that is where God placed us in Jesus, in heavenly places, in Christ. It's time we made it a reality in our everyday lives. Last night, some of you know Kate. you know Kate from Frinton? She had a baby last night, half past seven last night. Little girl, uh, eight pounds, five ounces. Well done, that girl. <laughs> Makes your eyes water to think of it, doesn't it? Uh, she had to go to the full thing. They, they induced her in the end. But I spoke to her at about 10 o'clock last night because we were getting a bit concerned because we knew she was going to be induced and we hadn't heard anything. And we thought, oh, that would move a bit fast if they do that. And I had this little conversation at 10 o'clock last night. On the way to the hospital, the Lord told them that the baby's name was to be Isabel Rose. They had chosen Isabel Hope because they knew that she'd got a little girl. Um, so Isabel Rose has made her appearance. But she said, I was in the throne room all the time. I nearly said, Mum. She said, I was in the throne room all the time through my labour. And she said, God was giving me instructions when to breathe the gas and the air. He said, I made this body. I'm going to tell you how to go through this, and you're going to enjoy it. She could hear her husband talking to her next door, but she couldn't locate what, because she was in the throne room with the Lord. And uh, she said, I only came back down when it was time to push. And Isabel Hope appeared. So, is that not amazing? She's living where... He wants her to live in the throne room. And I, I piped my eye a little, because she didn't know, but my second name is Rose. And God said to me, you've got your first spiritual grandchild. That's why I nearly said, she said, Mum. I thought, no, she didn't say Mum. <laughs> but it feels like that. Because when you're my spiritual children, the relationship is it's closer than... Uh, yeah, I know the ones God's given me. They know because they get the odd slap over the wrist. <laughs> I won't slap somebody else's child, but I'll slap the ones that are mine. <laughs> so anyway, so that, that is, is, she has been trained to live in that place. Uh, she'll give you her testimony, her history one of these days. Quite incredible place that God has brought her to. So, Reality. So what we're about to look at in this teaching session is, as Graham Cook would say, as serious as a heart attack. The battle is real and every one of us are involved, whether we realise it or not. What I'm trying to do today is to show you what warfare looks like in your everyday lives and circumstances so you can recognise the battle and the strategy of the enemy and make choices. Everything we do is offensive to the kingdom of darkness. That's our job as Christians, to be an offence to the world. Not an offence to people, but to the powers of darkness. So what I'm aiming to do today is to earth your warfare so that you see every act of kindness is warfare. Every time you do not retaliate when someone upsets you, 
it's warfare. Every time you love your husband or your wife or your kids, it's warfare. Every time you get to work on time and put in a good day's work without grumbling and complaining, it's warfare. Simple, isn't it? We do not realise that it is that ground level, just where you live, where you breathe. So there's a call to battle and there's a call to fight on every single one of us. We're called to be soldiers, we're called to be an army. Every Christian is called to be a soldier in the army of God. And soldiers are called to counter evil with the overwhelming good that flows from the heart of God. We absolutely have to win the internal battle. At the very least, each of us needs to be a foot soldier, able to resist the enemy and stand against him on a personal level. Graham Cook has got an excellent book on this subject entitled Towards a Powerful Inner Life. I said to Joyce, I've got two copies. I don't know if they're still there. and I want to stop a stampede to the... Towards a Powerful Inner Life, it's called. Uh, which highlights the whole issue of walking in the spirit of the soul. It's brilliant stuff and I recommend it. I do really recommend that if you get Graham's books, you don't just read them through and think, oh, yeah, that was good. What's next? Because that is where you don't make any progress at all. I've spoken to people who've said to me, yeah, I've read those little books. I've read good. I read them in an evening. And it's like reading A.W. Tozer. You read a sentence and you think, wait a minute, whoa, we've got to think about that. Sounds good. 2 Timothy 2, 3 says, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. 1 Timothy 1.18 These charges I commit to you, Timothy, that by the prophecies given you, you may fight a good fight, or war, a good warfare. Hardness is part of our life. We're not a bunch of wimps. We're not chocolate soldiers who melt at the first sign of the heat of battle. We're not the kind of people who want everything easy, are we? Or are we? Just answer it yourself. <laughs> what we're aiming at is to bring ourselves to the place where whether life is easy or whether it's difficult, it makes no difference to us because it's that kind of attitude that the enemy hates. As Graham Cook would say, no good days, no bad days, only days of grace. Eh? What we're aiming at is coming to a place of peace and rest that is a weapon against the enemy and what life throws against us. Because we are secure in the heart of the one who loves us to distraction. That when circumstances hit us, panic is not the first button we push. Satan is always trying to get us to look at the easy or the quick way or the shortcut. When we are building the kingdom of heaven, when we're establishing the kingdom here on earth, there is no easy way, no quick way, no shortcuts. It's hard, it's dangerous, it's sweaty, it's a fight. And we absolutely have to apply what we learn. Our lives depend on it. What today will do is to show you how important it is that you nurture that divine seed within you. How imperative it is that you come out of agreement with your old Adamic nature and put on Christ. And later I will be outlining the demonic strategy for your life. When I do that, you'll see why our choices to walk in the love, the grace, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and pass that on to others are so important. Because if we don't, we're going to be lunch for the enemy take you back to Genesis 3. On your belly you shall go, and dust will be your food. Beloved, we are the dust. And I don't intend to fill his belly. Beryl is definitely off the menu. So the first principle of spiritual warfare is that it primarily concerns God, not the enemy. It is primarily concerned with discovering the majesty, the sovereignty and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about taking authority over the enemy. 
So the whole issue is about focus. My question to you this morning is, what is your focus? Intimacy with the Almighty is going to be the key in this next phase. Your level of intimacy with God will determine your placement and effectiveness on the battlefield. If you desire to be a warrior, your life will be marked by the intimacy you have with the Almighty. Spiritual warriors have made life choices about where their attention is focused. Spiritual warriors live from the inside to the outside, not the other way around. Your intimacy with him is determined by how close you want to be to him. We are all as close to him as we desire to be. You can have as much of him as you want. You determine the level by your choices. He told me years ago, you can have as much of me as you want. He's up for grabs, if you like. And he loves it when we say, I'm not satisfied, I want more of you, I want more. So let's look at a familiar story now. Two women, one of whom knew how much she wanted from Jesus and positioned herself to get it. I'm talking, of course, about Mary and Martha. Luke 10, I think it is. I'm, I'm, I'm always prone to getting the wrong scripture references here. Despite a great deal of care. 38 to 42. Now as they were um, starting from verse 38 of uh, Luke 10. As they were travelling along, he entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And before he gets a chance to answer, then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, and she was so sure he was going to be on her side. Absolutely certain that he was going to agree and give Mary an earful. He turns to her and he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary. Really, only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Beloved, do not be distracted from your journey into the heart of God. Martha was distracted, cumbered about with care. Mary, Jesus said, has chosen the better part. This session will enable you to do an honest self-examination, where you are right now, where you're going, where you're headed. It will give you the steps to bring you into a different place in God if you decide to come into agreement with them. God's expectation is always that you will grow. So an honest appraisal of where you are right now is part of that growth process. Focus. Martha's was obvious. Mary's was obvious. What's yours? To establish it, just think about what consumes your thinking. When your mind goes to its default position, where does it settle? Could be yourself, your needs, your wants, your desires, your ambitions, I want, I think, I feel. Could be family, work, relationships, new house, garden, next holiday, jobs to do. What is it? Just to help you a bit, next door but one to us, their focus is animals, and particularly horses. Every waking moment is spent looking after them, feeding, grooming, training, transporting, showing. Fine. They don't know any better. They are totally consumed. Horses, dogs, cats, ducks. So what is your life's goal, if you like? What are you aiming at? Or aren't you aiming at anything? So you know what you say, if you aren't aiming at anything, you're sure to hit it. For years I had the maxim, if you like to call it, my goal is God himself, by any road, dear Lord, at any cost. I thought about that before I made that statement. Because when you say to God, my goal is you, anyway, 
any cost. He takes you at your word. That's why I didn't want you to do anything precipitately today. We don't think enough as Christians. I was saying to the girls on Wednesday, we need to start thinking deeply about ourselves, about who God is, about what we're here for, what our purpose is. We really need to start thinking deeply. So focus is anything that consumes your time, your energy, your money, your attention. Sometimes if you saw me, you'd think she's sitting there gazing into space. It's what I call musing. I'm musing before the Lord. I'm not consciously working out great problems in my mind, but I'm before him and I'm just processing what he's saying to me, what he's saying to the guys, What's going on? I'm taking that time to just process. And Joyce will come and she'll say to me, I'm pruning the roses and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm like, what? And I must look like a zombie because I don't take it. I don't understand. I, I can't. Because I've been suffering. <laughs> and she probably thinks, oh, she's off again. But that's because I'm, I'm off somewhere else. Yes, I am off somewhere else. I'm sitting at his feet, but I may appear to be inactive. Um, this was something that was levelled at me an awful lot in the early days, that Joyce did all the work and I just sat there. And I just had to sit and take that, because I knew that I am a sitter and a hearer and a mouth. I'm not a doer. So long as we know what we part with play in the body, we're all right. Because we can't have, a, as someone once said, a bucket full of eyeballs or a bucket full of ears and, and a bucket full of mouths. We all have to be different. Okay, focus then. Have a little think about what your focus is. And this is where I want you to stop for a moment. To be honest with yourself. Don't go all super spiritual. Nobody's going to see it but yourself. So don't start writing down all these great things. Uh, while I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been showing you things. So just write down whatever it is. What's your focus? And I did ask you something else earlier on, didn't I? Whether there was anything um, that was causing you to be oppressed by the kingdom of darkness. Wrong attitudes, unforgiveness. So have a little look. A paper. And then it's on there. So we'll just take a break. So just a few moments. Thank you. You know, I saw um, a lady once many years ago. She sat under the ministry of Colin Urquhart and she was the one that he'd really brought along, like to be uh, his next number one. And she looked more like he did than he did, if you see what I mean. Um, she wore a suit. And she moved the same way as he did. She held her papers the same way as he did. And I'm thinking to myself, just now I'm getting more like Graham Cook every day. Because, because he is the man I sit under, uh, not literally, I, I know him, but not that well. Um, the things that he says go round in my mind and they come out of my mouth. <laughs> it's like when you're painting, you know, you train to, uh, to, to be an artist by studying the, the masters. And first of all, you, follow, you seek out how they did things, how they got those colours, how they made that look like that, and then you begin to develop your own skills. So for a time, you're looking like, I mean, Roland Hilda was one of my favourites, so a lot of my stuff looked like Roland Hilda. But then I got more branching out and developing my own style when I was painting. And so uh, it's interesting that the same thing happens. You sit under a teacher and you begin to develop the same things. <laughs> I'm not going to have an, an ear in me right and left ear, whichever one it is. Anyway, he's, he's beautiful. So, and thank you for him, Father, and all the other guys. So you know what's coming. Your primary focus should be God. If the enemy can blur your primary focus, make you lose your vision, become distracted, he mastered you. Beloved, we're in times when we absolutely have to be focused, single-eyed, on Jesus. If we're going to be a part of the end-time army that's being raised up. To properly represent 
the kingdom of God, we must fear God more than we fear man. Particularly if you're in the prophetic, you have to lose that fear of man. Because you're going to have times and situations where you are going to have to speak to leadership and you will not like their faces. But we have to overcome the fear of their faces. God spoke quite sternly to Jeremiah, I remember about it. Do not be afraid of their faces. Otherwise I'll do something to you. So it's between a rock and a hard place, really, poor old Jeremiah. So, for the church to accomplish her mandate for this hour, she will need the kind of authority that Elijah walked in and more. Before we can be trusted with this, we must be delivered from the fear of man and live only in the pure and holy fear of God. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says, If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. When anything grows larger internally than your relationship with God, you've lost your focus. If you're in ministry, if that becomes more important to you than your relationship with God, you have lost your focus. When your ministry to others is outgrowing your time of fellowship with God, you're in for a season of fractured focus. And in Luke 10, Mary and Martha. Martha would have been right in any other situation, but Jesus was there. And Mary had it right. That whole passage is about focus and alignment. It does not mean that Martha is worthless. It means that when Jesus was there, she missed it. I've been studying that whole thing about the, the Jews missing the time of their visitation and how Jesus wept over it and that will be coming out in Revelation just amazing they missed the time of their visitation that's going to be a good time that Revelation chapter to give a, give a bit of a um, plug so your focus will determine your level of power and influence whatever has the capacity to keep your attention has power and influence over you and your focus determines your energy. The enemy will happily distract you from God's purposes for your life by any means, including good things. How many of you know that the good is the enemy of the best? We have to be absolutely certain that what we are doing in our good works are the good works that God prepared for us in advance to do, not good ideas that we've got. Joyce and I are always saying, is this a good idea or a God idea? We have a lot of good ideas, but they're not God ideas. And I'll tell you, they fall flat on their nose if they're not God ideas. It's awful. Well, sounds good, looks good, a bit impressive. It's a good idea. Yeah. So focus and alignment. Alignment with the Holy Spirit and his desires for your life is absolutely crucial. So now to be really helpful, I'm going to give you some signs of non-alignment. Because you need to know what we're looking at, don't we? Physically, you'll feel tense. There will be stress in and around your life versus the rest and peace of God. Emotionally, you will feel upset. Fear, worry and doubt come in. Mentally, you'll feel resistance like you're fighting something. Spiritually, non-alignment makes you feel you're under attack and you will mistake this for spiritual warfare. Other signs are loss of appetite, or the reverse, eating too much for comfort, loss of sleep, tension, stress, headaches, even flu-like symptoms. Tired, listless, nervous, maybe just wanting to hide, wanting to get away from everything, doing something physical rather than spiritual, can't be bothered to meet with God or pray, so you clean the house or the car or go to the gym, watch TV at 10 o'clock in the morning, anything at all to push away going to be with him. Emotionally, when you are non-aligned, you can be reactive against people and situations. You see the worst, you speak without thinking. You're anxious, full of worry, fear, anger, rejection. You're irritable, you take everything as an offence. You feel rejected at the slightest thing. You're sad and you're moody. You have a roller coaster of emotions and sometimes you're just cynical, mistrustful, Mentally, you're questioning everything. You become super analytical. 
you speculate, you pick holes in things, or you replay events negatively. And guess what? Every time you replay it, it gets more negative and the enemy adds to it. We used to say, you nurse it, curse it, rehearse it, and sure enough, it grows. You're suspicious about people and their motives. You take snapshots which aren't true and come to conclusions that only reinforce your opinion. You're unable to be objective. Everything is subjective and based on your feelings. When you are non-aligned, barriers are raised against people, against God, resistance forms, and we man the barricades to repel the truth from other people. We just won't hear it. We're defensive and selectively deaf. We resist the Holy Spirit and the truth he wants to bring. When people try to bring it, we think they've got some kind of ulterior motive or an agenda, so we won't hear. It is not easy to hear the truth from someone else. And the truth, when it comes at first, is always negative. I never sat whoopee and shout for joy when Joyce puts her finger on something that God's talking to me about. I do not say, oh, how wonderful. She usually gets a nasty face and a bit of a snap. Because until I actually realise that, yes, actually that is the truth. Graham Cook says something brilliant. If, if you get someone criticise you or say something to you that is negative, take it away and say, Father, is there a grain of truth in this? Because if there's even a grain of truth in it, you want to know, don't you? So when you're non-aligned, your natural mind has to have the upper hand. Poor alignment brings us into negativity, unbelief, woundedness, poor relationships and condemnation. What a lovely bag for. There is no recognisable pattern to your thoughts because the enemy isn't that silly. He just takes you into areas of the flesh and right away from the spirit. If you do not practice agreement between yourself and the Holy Spirit, you will be soulish, led mostly by your feelings and your emotions, and heavily influenced by rational thinking. I'll give you an example. When I was a young Christian, a thought would fire into my mind and I'd think, yeah, that's right. It's like a needle and thread I used to see it as. And so I would pick up that needle and thread where the first step stitch had been made and I would start to weave it backwards and forwards by my thoughts until I blotted God out so much I couldn't see him for my own. And this is what happened. He fires a thought in and we accept it as our own and off we go with it. It's usually negative. Do you see the way she looked at you? It wasn't that good her. All right yesterday. Yeah. Off it goes. Whatever it is for you, whatever it is, walk straight past me. What's the matter with me? It's the leadership. I've been here 25 years in this church and the way they treat me. They're probably thinking about something else. But that's just, it, it's ground level, basic stuff. It's not rocket science. It's not great high thoughts. I'm not feeding giraffes. I'm feeding sheep. <laughs> can tell because you haven't got great long necks and, and you don't have to go like that to get a drink, do you? <laughs> get that on the CD, see what that was all about. So those are some symptoms of non-alignment. So what does alignment look like? That doesn't mean that you're going to get all this right all the time. I mean, this morning Joyce and I, before we came out, I lost a rather of my sword here now. So we both went and looked. I said, where's my sword? Found two found a black scabbard and another sword, you see. So I said, that's not it, that's not there. So we nearly pulled the furniture out to have a look. But God being gracious, my peace level didn't move. I thought, oh, well, you said bring your sword out. I can't find it, Lord, I'll have to take the other one. So I put them both in the box to come. Peaceful, didn't lose my peace over it, Tom. And then I suddenly thought, no, I didn't think anything. I picked up one and pulled the sword out of its scabbard and I said, John. <laughs> The sword's in its scabbard. That's <laughs> <Hasn't> it. <laughs> it's just little silly little things like that. So you can tell when your peace level is increasing. The thing that upset you last week, you know, you get to peace faster this week. 
God had said to me upstairs, get your soul. So I went down and I thought, well, you haven't got it wrong, Lord, but I've done something with it. And I haven't got time to search it out, you understand. But it didn't touch my peace level. Just a little blip like that. Well, it's not worth bothering about. I'm learning what it's not worth bothering about. I tell you, relationships are absolutely everything. And where does the enemy attack you? In relationships. Spends his whole time. There's that lovely book, isn't there? The Screw Tape Letters. The teachings of a senior demon to a, to a junior demon on how to wind people up. Very, very good. So what does alignment look like? Physically, we are ready for the fight. We're resting. Internally, you're at peace. You may feel apprehensive, but you're willing to be involved with God. You will be nervous of the things that he challenges you to. You're not going to be gung-ho. You're alert. You're in fellowship with him, full of mercy, kindness and good fruit. You're walking in the spirit. And the starting point for spiritual breakthrough lies in your will. The truth doesn't set you free until you experience it. A head full of knowledge is useless. A sustained breakthrough is when faith and focus come together and stay together. We don't want a breakthrough that's lost before you walk through down the path. The road to hell, it said, is paved with good intentions. What we don't want is a few good intentions. We want intentional will choices combined with faith, faith and focus. A sustained breakthrough depends on the will and the spirit combining. And if you've got a flabby will, it isn't making choices. It hasn't been exercised. And like faith, it's a muscle that needs exercise to keep it fit. It's much more important to exercise your will and faith muscles than it is to spend time at the gym. Satan attacks your mind and emotions to subvert your will. And when he's done that successfully, he has you. The will is the primary vehicle for the presence and the power of God. Your will is the vehicle for faith. So your will must be put into God's hands. Victory comes from a submissive will. From a will that is submitted to the greatness and goodness of God. Gina, bless her, brought me something the other day about black holes. I don't understand hardly a word of it. Uh, but what it's done is expanded who God is. I mean, awesome or what? This God that just plays with these things with his fingers is my God, my Father. Like he said to uh, Kate, I created your body, I'll tell you what to do in childbirth. Submission to him is not an effort. If we, if we know if my mum would say which side our bread was buttered, we would just roll over with our paws in the air all the time. So it's a will that is submitted to the greatness and goodness of God. Who do you think has got a vested interest in you not discovering how great God is? So you cannot manifest anything in the spirit if your will is working against you. Submission to God comes first. That's why I said I thought it was so amazing. Before I knew I was going to be teaching on this, God had me do the teaching on submission which majored on submission to him. And that's how I look back at it and it's like a string of beads. He's just stringing them together. He doesn't have to tell me what's coming. Uh, well, he doesn't tell me what's coming. He just says, now you're going to do so-and-so. And I did have a bit of a fight with these because I said, I don't feel qualified to do these. And there was a silence. And if you've ever experienced a heavenly silence, you know you've said the wrong thing. In that sort of silence. The virtue you said, if I'm asking you to do something, I'm equipping you with it. I'm giving you a stick, like Moses. So, submission to God comes first. If he's our focus, we will magnify him. Everything else will shrink. 
So another question for you to put on your pad. What are you magnifying now? What's right in your face right now? And here's a lovely poem. I will magnify. I will magnify that quarrel with my friend. Every rolled eye and exasperated groan I will dwell upon till I can no longer stand to look upon her. I will hold her errors ever before me and I will view her henceforth with suspicion and mistrust. I will magnify, I will magnify, I will magnify my worries and my cares. As a dog gnaws upon a bone, so I will gnaw upon my anxieties. So will my forehead crease with a multitude of lines as a ploughed field. And thus the molehills will be transformed into mountains. So shall I be cast into the uttermost depths of despair. I will magnify, I will magnify, I will magnify, I will magnify the things that cause me to fear. Shudders will fill my inward parts as I cringe along life's paths. Surely my limbs shall turn to water as I meditate upon them. I shall imagine calamity and disaster at every turn, and my dwelling place shall be under the blanket forevermore. <laughs> I will magnify, I will magnify, I will magnify my failures as a Christian. Shame shall fill me in the night watches, and guilt shall come in the morning. Every trivial loss of call will seem enormous in my sight. Surely disgust and remorse shall follow me all the days of my life. I will magnify. Grant Cook. I think it's his wife wrote that one. Or got it from someone. So we will always magnify something. Is what you're currently magnifying good or bad for you? Is it empowering you or is it reducing you? Is it introducing doubt and unbelief? You get to choose what you think. So stop Take stock. What am I magnifying right now? Is it doing me good? Instead, use your will to magnify him and give thanks to him. This aligns you with the Holy Spirit. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3 Take your emotions and put them firmly at the feet of your will. That's a good exercise. So right now we'll take another little break. Take stock. Be honest. What have you been magnifying? Is it good or bad for you? Is it empowering you or is it reducing you? Is it introducing doubt and unbelief? So I'll give you ten minutes. Past twelve. And then uh, we'll see where we go. <laughs> 